We are here to uncover the good, the bad, and the ugly of the IT industry. My name is Robin Johns, and this is Convergence by Cato Networks. When it comes to technical documentation, there is a high probability that the first thing which will appear in your mind is a 600-page user manual, which would come with Windows 95 or an AOL installation. These types of manuals were born to tell us how to understand the technical products we use from the inside out. It is safe to say that the ways we learn how to use new platforms have evolved since Windows 95, mainly because of the new ways we use technologies. So how can you write better documentation that enables your users to understand how to use your platform properly? In today's episode, we are hosting Yakov Simon, Cato Network's Documentation Manager. We will uncover the most common documentation strategies in an agile service-based company versus static product-based company. Hi, Yakov. Welcome to the podcast today. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing well, Robin. How are you? I'm doing very well, very well. So before we get into the meat and bones of the situation, tell me a bit about yourself. How did you become a technical writer, a technical communicator? What's your career path that led you to where you are today? Well, thank you, Robin. So I started off as a teacher, which I really, really, really enjoyed doing. And then in 2008, my family, we decided to move to Israel. And I knew there was no way I was going to be a teacher in Israel. You know, my Hebrew is not that great. So I was like, I want to make a career change and uh, I want to get into high tech, you know, get the good salaries. And technical writing was a good, good shallow entry point. I knew I was a, a good writer and I enjoy technology. So uh, that was that shift, that career shift. And uh, the one thing that was in common is, you know, in both cases, you have to clearly present your information in a consistent way, thinking about how am I going to educate, whether my students or my customers, my end users. So that type of kind of process I was already familiar with. And then I ended up at Checkpoint for about seven years. And then I've been uh, the documentation manager at Cato since 2019. So technical writing, it's a term that I've heard used quite a lot in the field and industry, but I know there's quite a few people listening that might not be of a technical mind. So what is technical writing? The simplest way is that it's user manuals or admin guides, depending on where you are. But if you get a new toaster, you get a little manual with it. So somewhere... There's a technical writer who wrote that manual. I'm only saying to my kids, no, don't throw those manuals out. Somebody worked very hard to make them. So again, whether it's appliances or anything, or once you get into the realm of software, things get a little bit more complicated. You have to write, how do you install the software? How do you use the software? How do you manage it, update it? All types of things like that. So that's all part of the technical writer trying to meet with the engineers, ignore everything they're telling you that is not relevant to the end user, Ask the questions that the end user needs to know. What operating systems does this software supported on? Things like that. What do I need to install before I can use your wonderful software with your beautiful feature? Writing, nowadays it's also videos uh, are a very popular way for people to also learn how to use something. So how do you distinguish between what engineering thinks is important versus what the customer believes is important? Because it sounds like you're acting as an intermediary between those who code and those who use. That's a great description. And I, I often think of myself as a customer advocate. So first of all, the answer to your question is it's with experience. The better you know the product, the better you understand how the product works, 
then you can really start thinking like the end user. And sometimes also you will say, you know, oh, this window you designed, the most important button is three menus deep. You need to put this on the front screen so that it's easier for someone to do the action that the feature is for. If you look at IT as a whole, if you look at every piece of software that you use, things have evolved and changed over the years. If you were to go back to the 1980s, 1990s, and you have a big PDP-8 or PDP-10, you have thousands of pages of software manuals against that. Versus if you have an iPhone delivered to you today, your chances are you can have one or two very thin pieces of paper. So how have you seen technical documentation over evolve over the course of your career lifespan? Right. So first of all, being a computer user back from the early 80s, I had an Apple IIe. I used TRS-80s. And, you know, so I, I remember from like the, the early personal computer. And you're definitely right. It's one of the things that now that we're in the 2020s, uh, the entire user experience, the UX, UI, how the, the windows are designed is all with the end user in mind, trying to be as intuitive as possible. The iPhone being one of the golden examples that everybody's trying to uh, also uh, achieve the level of design and how intuitive it is. Um, and that is a huge impact in documentation and something I've seen just from 2008 to 2020. You know, I haven't been documenting for 30 years, but you can see that the older documentation, because the screens were not intuitive, you spent a lot of time just explaining how do you find the button that you need to do the thing that you want to do? And now you don't have to do that at all. Now you just say, click new, and everybody sees exactly where it is. And you know maybe it's a little bit less uh, screenshots in the documentation that may also say, you know, gives you more time to focus on the more important information and material. With the more intuitive user interfaces and, and windows and screens, to me, that makes my job easier because I don't need to spend a lot of time explaining things that are obvious to me as like an experienced user, not obvious to someone who is a novice user in terms of just having to click around and really lets me focus on what does the feature do? Why do you want to use it? What are the different options that you need to think about that you can use in this feature? That makes sense. That makes sense. So if you're looking at the overall user journey, if you're looking how to configure items and get things off the ground, then simplicity helps. And from what I can understand, are you saying documentation is supplementary to a good UX UI, or could it replace a good UX? I would say the opposite, that sometimes a good UX can replace documentation. Like you said, for the iPhone, that there's not much documentation on how to use it. But to me, yeah, this is the entire kind of the industry changing and the skill of being a technical writer that you really, really a deep understanding of the feature that you can then pick out what is the information that a user, user needs to know about it. But also good documentation becomes very much a part of the customer experience with the product. So it's not just supplementary, it's actually part of the, of the overall customer experience to use the product. So if I was listening into this podcast and I was thinking, yes, my documentation needs updating. It's currently an, a very organically evolving process. What recommendations would you give to create and maintain good documentation? Uh, wow, great question, Robin. So one of the biggest things is making sure that it is maintainable for starting with. I'm a big believer in what's called KISS, keep it simple, stupid, because the more complexity you add to something, the more difficult it's to maintain. And this is always a trade-off as a technical writer. So for example, videos, very, very useful, very difficult to maintain. 
it's very hard to edit a video in the middle when they update the screen. And now there's like new terms everywhere. You have to reshoot the video from the beginning, which is a lot of work. So one of the things about good documentation is as the documentation evolves, how can I structure it, create it in a way so that it is modular and that I can update one piece without having to update the entire thing? For example, uh, this is one of the things in software, old technical writing, certainly very common to use Microsoft Word, which is completely non-modular. And, and my team, we use a software called Polygo, but which is a modular, um, it's XML file based. And basically it's like within one article, which even if that article is 20 pages long, I can have 10 modular units that I can change one unit and then easily republish the entire thing. You know, you can have macros so that, or shortcuts so that you change a term in one place, it changes in many places. This also is relevant for when you're uh, translating. The more modular your technical writing software is, you're breaking things down into smaller chunks, which means it's, it's easier to support and grow. So what about people who are still reliant on Microsoft Word? Say they don't have some form of object-orientated authoring tool. How could you maintain good documentation in this manner? It's a real challenge. My first couple of years I spent authoring in Word. So I, uh, every day, thank God that I no longer do that. It, you know, it is a big challenge. And I think maybe there's a thing you can do. Sometimes there are some things that let you merge multiple Word files together into one file. So instead of having a single file that has 300 pages in it, maybe you have a way so that every chapter, which is 30 or 40 pages, is a separate file and therefore easier to maintain. The other thing I wanted to, that I forgot to say before about good documentation is, to me, there, there is an element of focusing on the most relevant technical information. One of the things I found out on our knowledge base that we have is the articles that got the most votes were not written by me. They're written by engineers because the people looking for that real technical information that was in the article and they wanted it and they found it and they were so happy that they got it, uh, they really appreciated that very rich technical content. So there, there is the, the tool-oriented uh, but there's also the style-oriented, which is the more technical that you can get to, relevant to the product you're doing, I think the better your documentation is. Oh, all good. So could you walk me through the process of creating documentation? Say, I have a new feature, I have a new page, I have a new something that I want to share with my users. What steps do you take to prepare and execute on documentation? Great question. Thank you. I basically, I can break it down into three steps or maybe four. The first step is you meet with your relevant expert. The tech writing jargon is SME, subject matter expert, but you meet from the person who is designing the feature or coding the feature or what have you and find out everything you need to know about the feature. You talk with them and that interview may take anywhere between half an hour, an hour. And based on that interview, I then create an outline of the, and a documentation plan of what we want to do. And then I send that to review to make sure that I didn't make a mistake or on the same page about what the plan to document is. And also very important when you're doing this is to have different priorities. Any software developers knows there's a term called minimum viable product, MVP. And I say there's the same thing for documentation. So I have my priority one, maybe my priority two and my priority three to make sure that if I have a tight timeline and a short deadline, I still have something that I can put out that is the minimum amount that the user needs to know. Maybe there are some advanced features that will come later on, maybe a couple of weeks later. Uh, so I have that outline. 
Then once that outline is approved, I then sit down and do the actual writing. And, and I usually, you know, you sit with the product, you play with it. Maybe you have a couple questions, follow-up questions with the uh, person that the SME that you were meeting with. And then you've written your document. You ask uh, one of your coworkers to do a review just to make sure you, you're not making any mistakes because you're way deep in. You need someone who can see the, the entire forest, not just the trees. After that review, you send it to the SME, whoever the, the leader is to review it. Uh, then you publish it to wherever it's going, whether it's a PDF or a HTML file or a video or, or, or what have you, publish the final deliverable. So for this, do you use an agile methodology to keep things updated and running, or do you use more of a traditional waterfall style? How do you get your MVP out of the door? That question actually is, to me, it depends on the company you're working in. So when I was at Checkpoint, that was very much a waterfall company, and you had very long timelines many, many months to plan everything out. So that was much more waterfall. And it's also adjusting what your expectations and how you're going to work, knowing you have multiple timelines, you can be doing many, many projects in parallel because you you can wait a couple of days to get a response on a question you have. At Cato, we're very much an agile company. We have new releases every two weeks, very short timelines. It's not one better than the other, but it's matching to fit how the product is delivered. So for example, in Checkpoint, you might deliver a feature that might have a 50-page new guide or a 50-page chapter in an existing guide. Uh, here, if I, deliver, if I deliver something that's 10 pages, that's something quite large that I'm, that I'm delivering. Everything is, is generally very short, two or three pages, and meeting that, that agile, very quick cycle. Shorter cycle, and the advantage of agile, which I enjoy, is that you get that quick feedback, that short feedback loop. Uh, and again, also adjusting the documentation to take advantage of that loop and making sure that you're doing everything in very small chunks. And for me, I don't know whether or not our boss is going to get annoyed at me for saying this, but you know, I'm very much a believer in perfection is the enemy of the good. And it's very much putting out something that I know I can put something out. And if I have to go back and fix it, okay. Like if, if it's not perfect, that's okay. Cause I'm not going to spend all the time to get it perfect because that's going to take away from too many other very high priority things that I need to do in our very fast moving environment. That's kind of the essence of the uh, knowledge centric workforce, KCS, uh, knowledge centered service, where you're capturing the essence of what you want to convey instead of it being perfect. Kind of, you're not writing in complete sentences, but you might write in complete thoughts to kind of get that point. What you've said there was quite interesting that Cato is releasing new things every two weeks which if you're a listener to this Cato podcast, you should know that we're always bringing new great things to you constantly with release notes and happiness every two weeks. Fantastic. But if you're in a product-based company, if you're in a company that makes your money by selling appliances and you have six to nine months release cycles between pushes, how can you ensure that you have the same level of documentation quality in an agile company versus a product company? One of the advantages of being in the agile company, usually in a product-based company, you have to maintain multiple versions. So again, at Checkpoint, we would go five versions back, backwards compatibility. And that's a lot of effort to maintain. You know, your version management requires a lot of time. So the advantage of being in an agile is that you don't have to do any of that, or at least in our agile environment, we don't have to do any of that. That we only have this single version that's that's available on the cloud. So that really simplifies my job a lot and lets me really focus on the current version and not worrying about, well, what about the other versions? How, are the, how is what the old version's impacted by the new thing that I'm putting out? 
And I will say it's also, I think it's actually a lot of it has to do with the individual personality. I think that by, you know, I got IVDHD, so I'm very comfortable changing topics rapidly, maybe three or four times in an hour. No, but, but in all seriousness, I think that's very essential to certainly succeeding at Cato is being comfortable changing gears, changing priorities. What you plan to do on Sunday already by Tuesday is out the window because a brand new high priority thing came in. So I, I think that thinking in very small chunks and being very comfortable rapidly changing and that dynamic atmosphere, I think is the key, the key to the success. And I think if you're a person that likes to be able to plan something out three or four months ahead and likes to be able to really sit on something to really, again, it doesn't have to be perfect, but really kind of like, I'm putting out something that I'm not very proud of. But I, again, that's your, you know, if you're only putting out your priority one, you're probably, you might not be very proud of what you're publishing. And again, you have to be comfortable doing that and it doesn't agonize you and, and eat at you. I think that a lot of that has to do with being in sync with the rapid pace of the product lifecycle. Nice words of caution for those, uh, those listening in. So what would you also tell people to stop doing? What would you recommend people ignore or bad practices that you may have seen? Do you have any recommendations for people? The worst practice that I see is sometimes there are shortcuts how to do the same thing. Maybe open a file. You can do file open. You can hit command or control O, or maybe there are a couple other ways. And sometimes people document every single way to do something. And that's just a, a waste of time because ultimately you document one way that's clear and let the user figure out the other ways. They just want to know how to do the thing. They don't need to know every single thing that they do. Also, I have been in meeting tech writer meetings where there has been an hour spent debating whether you should have a dash after the word note or a colon after the word note. And I mean, the truth is that tech writer, something that is an advantage of a tech writer is being very detail oriented. And it's true. But I would say, don't sweat the small stuff. And again, that's, I go back to what I said before, like looking at the votes on, an, on, a, on a KB article. Like if I, have, if I have a mistake that something isn't bolded correctly, I don't think anyone who's not a tech writer is going to notice. And it, it's not the most important. And so it's, yeah, put your most important information first. Uh, the other big thing is, Make sure you know what you're talking about. And, and, and I mean that, like, make sure you understand what it is that you're documenting. If it's in the server field, enter server, you haven't really helped the user very much because the user sees the name as server. Like you have to, you know, enter the, enter the mail server that's used for, the, used for your company. I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Give a little bit of extra information, uh, but you have to understand what you're talking about to be able to do that. It's that classic cliche of if you can't explain something to a five-year-old, you don't really understand it yourself. And I presume the same happens with documentation. Yes, yes. So I'm going to kind of change gears a little bit here now. And I'm going to ask you a question that may seem like a personal attack. And don't worry, it's not going to be too harsh. And I want to talk to you about the future of documentation. Now, personally, I use tools like HyperWrite to do AI generating text. I would start writing a segment or a paragraph click go and now allow AI to just propagate the rest, which is very useful when trying to do short descriptors. But as technology is getting better and people are moving further and further into better user experiences or UX, there is the argument that the necessity for technical documentation will diminish as there's a wider gap between those who can use technology and those who develop the technology. So how do you see the future of documentation in say, five years from now. I think it's a great point that you make that now there are all these kind of 
machine learning or AI-assisted tools that are there to help generate content. Like any change, right? You have to say, okay, so now something that I used to do, a machine can do for me. Now I focus on, on something else. And one of the things that I think is most important, the human element, is the ability to focus on what is most important for the end user. Somebody has to figure out what is the most essential information. Someone has to generate those keywords that are going to be used by the AI to uh, generate whatever text it is. So knowing those, you know, knowing those keywords, having that understanding of the feature, I think also the ability to do something shorter. I think being able to get to the point, uh, you know, less is more. I think that's something that human beings are still ahead of, and I think maybe in five years also, um, you know, I, I think that also that ability to write something in a more concise way rather than having lots of empty sentences that don't really, that aren't very helpful. And finally, I think probably will, what will be most important is that ability to find the critical information. It might be less about the actual writing and more about the cross-referencing and knowing, again, maybe it's setting it up, you know, tagging or something like that behind the scenes, but then you're, you're saying, well, what is the overall structure of the documentation and the, and the knowledge base I'm doing so that there's a path that someone has that clearly gets them to the information that they need, that easy to find. And this is my experience, you know, personally with Google, uh, you know, being a, a Google user from 10 or 15 years ago. And now I find it very hard to find good quality content that my answer, you know, is an answer to a technical question that I have because there's a lot of fluff out there. So, you know, I think that ability to kind of create something that's short, and to the point and easy to find, I think that's still in the hands of, of human beings. Indeed, indeed. Google is a good example of how it's evolved from being a single point solution to something that is very complex in its own ecosystem. But the Google idea also links back to something you mentioned before. So a recent study that was saying that the majority of Gen Z people are actually using TikTok as a search engine now instead of Google. So if I want to know a product review, if I wanted to see how something works, instead of going on Google, typing, ooh, what are these things like? And seeing a page of sponsored biased adverts, instead you're getting words and reviews from the source. So how do you think that videos are really going to impact the technical documentation or the technical communication space? Because typically videos aren't searchable and indexable. So how do you see these two things aligning together? Myself being, uh, you know, Gen X, I still prefer reading over videos, but I definitely appreciate that there are new generations that much prefer to consume their content through videos. It's a real balance within documentation because you have certain things like reference guides that are just inappropriate for videos. You know, if you have a list of explaining 30 fields, you can't do that in a video. It's just impossible. Whereas there is some content that actually is much, much better in videos than in a written document. Uh, you know, I talk about if you want to, I hope not being too technical, but drill down in logs where you go, you know, you're drilling that you're going from one clicking on one thing and then another and another. If you're clicking on five links in a row, that's something that's much, much easier to understand in a video than it is in a written document. First of all, it really depends on your audience. I'm not sure Cato is ready for TikTok yet, but maybe it's a, maybe a couple of years away and something that, I, you know, a new skill I'll have to learn. But yes, I think that I am an advocate for the end user. And I am all about providing the end user with the best knowledge experience they have. And if that best knowledge experience is in videos on TikTok, then that's what I will produce for them. But 
at the same time, I know that there is some things that will need to be in written form. And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting all the changes that are happening and, and trying to figure out what is the best way to deliver content. Just like the question of should we work from office or should people work from home? I think the technical answer is still the hybrid model. Different audiences have different needs and different purposes. So it's just finding a way to coexist together. So we're nearing the end of this podcast session. So I have one final question for you. What is something you know now you wish you knew at the start of your career? Yeah, so that's a, a great question. So one of the things at the start is they talk about best practices as, as a technical writer, using gerunds in your headings. And if you have a bulleted list, do you have periods of, you know, consistency, having periods at the end of all of it, and consistency in your writing and your style being very, very important. And I've hinted at this already, but what I found is that actually having that deep technical knowledge is really much more important for the end user than whether having that consistency. And when I was doing writing exercises in my technical writing course, yeah, you would be graded. And it's always easy to see, you know, oh, here's a spelling mistake. Oh, here's this, here's that, you know, and, and that's always easy to see when you're doing a doc review. But it's very hard to see, do you really understand you know, we like to say, what's the weef among the feature? What, what's in it for me? What is this feature giving me? Have you actually provided that to the user? Do you have a high level overview? Uh, how, does this all, how does this all come together? That's really what's most important. And that for sure was not something that was emphasized to me when I was starting out. Great to know, great to know. So you're saying, find your style, be consistent, and try and find a way that you can work in a constant manner. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you for your time today, Yakov. It was very insightful. And thank you for your time. Oh, thank you very much, Robin. A pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was all for our episode today. I hope you've come away feeling a little more educated and empowered. In case you've forgotten, I'm Robin Johns, and you've been listening to Convergence by Cato Networks. Don't forget to hit subscribe, and I'll see you next time.